Hey friend, have you ever had a really good day followed by an extremely bad day? I would hazard a guess that there are a lot of folks listening right now that know what I'm talking about. Sometimes life can feel like a heartbeat monitor, up one moment and very much down the next. I'm Michael McCurry. Thank you for joining me for Bible Tracked Echoes. We are continuing our study in the book of Mark today. Thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that have taken of your time to join me on this radio program. It really, honestly, I'm blessed by the friendships that have been formed and the relationships that we've been able to forge with so many folks across America and the world that listen to Bible Tracked Echoes. And so again, I say thank you. We are in the book of Mark chapter number nine. We've been making good time. Today, we're going to go through maybe three, four, five different verses, but our central thought our theme is going to be what I just mentioned, from the mountaintop to the valley. You know, on the mountaintop, everything looks grand. Everything's great. Uh, yes, you're breathing rarefied air, but you look out at the scenery around you and the spectacles that God has put in front of you, and you think life is great. Well, there are times when we're down in the deep, dark valley. I'll be honest, I'll be transparent with you, I have found myself there. I, honestly, I, I'm fairly laissez-faire, I'm pretty even-keeled. I like to, if I can, immodestly say, pride myself on being pretty even-tempered. But there are times I'm not. There are times that life can get me down, just like probably can do the same for you. We know the person that we look at in the mirror, don't we? Sometimes we can let life just grind us into paste. Today, we're going to look at a biblical response to that sort of circumstance. Grab your Bibles, go to the book of Mark, chapter number nine. I've got my Bible right here. I'm actually on location <laughs> preaching in a lovely church here in South Central Illinois. Couple days of meetings. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing and has done here. And I'm so thankful for a full calendar. Now, please understand, I don't say this with pride, nor do I say it complaining, but I don't know that I have a free weekend until March or April of next year. I know that uh, this that is a blessing for an evangelist. To have a full calendar is most definitely a blessing, but I've learned. I was actually talking with the pastor of the church I'm at right now, where I'm coming to you from. I'm in the sanctuary and uh, the uh, platform is behind me, but I was talking to him last night about how important it is to make sure that my family gets the time they need from their husband, from their dad. And so being booked that far out just means I am making sure to block out some legitimate time with my family. I'm sure you understand that. I hope you also, no matter what ministry position you're in, no matter what secular job you have, I hope you'll make sure that you take care of your family. But we'll talk about that more later on. We're in the book of Mark chapter 9. I think we're going to look at verse number, let's see here, verse number 9. We're just coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. And to some degree, that is the mountaintop experience I'm talking about. Peter, James, and John, they got to see this incredible spectacle, this amazing 
amazing scene of Jesus being transfigured in front of them and then carrying on a conversation with two Old Testament heroes, people that these disciples had read about, had heard about, had heard teaching about. And Jesus is talking to them right in front of their eyes. But then we see that the scene comes to an end, verse number 9 of chapter 9. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, why say the scribes that Elias must come, must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listest, listed as it is written of him. Now, I realize we're going to depart just a little bit from the actual verses here because I want to convey this uh, application point. We're talking about here Jesus speaking about Elias. You realize Elijah came before Elisha. And there's some very interesting comparisons and contrasts between Elijah and his relationship, or if you want to call it uh, not allegorical, not figurative. Uh, some of you English majors can help me out with that. I'm blanking on the term. But there are some similarities between Elijah and John the Baptist. And Elisha, who came after Elijah, and Jesus. You realize John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. And he said, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. But Jesus, of course, allowed himself to be baptized by John the Baptist as a picture for us and all those things. But realize John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus. Jesus, of course, being God, was much greater than John the Baptist, but he still had him as a messenger, as a forerunner. Elisha, you realize, did exactly double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. And it's interesting, we're not going to go too deep on that. I just want you to kind of wrap your head around what's being said here. When Jesus talks about Elias or Elijah having to come first, it's very likely he's referencing John the Baptist and the fact that he came first uh, before, John, before Jesus and he was uh, treated rudely. He was, of course, it was decapitated. He lost his head because of his stand for truth. And now Jesus is here. But these disciples, I've often found for me, Sometimes I don't know what questions to ask. And that's kind of where these disciples are at. Talking about Elias, talking about uh, him coming first and all of that. They're kind of searching, trying to figure out, we don't even understand the, the figures of speech you're using, Jesus. Can you help us out here? And so uh, Jesus answers their question in a roundabout way and they're talking. But I want you to point out that these disciples are still wrestling with the fact that Jesus is talking about dying at all. You realize, of course, that Jesus is a mentor. I want you to think about the relationship that he had with these disciples, a mentor, a leader, a teacher, a pastoral type of relationship. He's almost shepherding to them. He cares for them 
we go all the way back to Mark chapter number four, when they ask, Master, carest thou not that we perish as the ship is rocking in the waves? And Jesus, of course, uh, calms the wind and, uh, and sedates the waves. And this is a very interesting relationship, never the like to be seen on earth since, uh, since then. But these disciples, they're wrestling with this fact that they've just come off this Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus keeps referencing this fact that the Son of Man, whom the disciples apparently have figured out is talking about him, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to die. Now, of course, we could go deep into the socioeconomic and the sociopolitical environment of the time and the Romans with their rule and the sect of Jews or Judaism that wanted to see a Messiah of sorts come up and throw off the shackles of Roman rule and all of these intricacies. But think about it if a dearly beloved teacher of yours told you for no apparent reason at a fairly young age, realize Jesus is between 30 and 33 at this point, said, I- I'm going to die. And then talk about rising again and talk about these kind of seem to be insane concepts. I want you to think about how befuddling, how confusing these messages must have been to the disciples. Of course, Jesus wasn't doing it to be uh, esoteric or to be uh, opaque or, or to, be, to hold things back from the, Honestly, they could not wrap their heads around everything that Jesus wanted to tell them, even if he had told them in plain language. We can't figure it all out sometimes, and we've got the book right in front of us. But let's think about that. Coming off the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing for one of the first times Not just Jesus using his power to affect loaves and fishes or to affect natural events, but to see him transfigured, to see his face, his body, to be lifted, if you will, to a higher plane, to perceive him as not just a man with powers of illusion, not just someone that we doubt, but sometimes, no, but to really see him as God and then to hear God Almighty, as he said there at the the tail end of the previous passage that we looked at, God Almighty speaking on behalf of his son, this is my son, hear him. Think about what they must have been wrestling with. And then I'd like you to apply that to where you and I live. Let's bring it right down to where you and I live. Oftentimes we'll have good days. I hope you have good days. I hope you can string together maybe more than one or two good days in a row. But I found often that those good days can be followed by bad days. I've found that there are times that I allow myself to come down off the mountaintop. And as these disciples did coming down the mountain, sometimes I don't remember that which I saw on the mountain and trust that God can take me through to the next good day. Now, I realize you could almost title this, and maybe we should, from one mountaintop to another, from one mountain to the next, because we have the Mount Transfiguration, and one of the next mountains that we talk about, of course, the Mount of Olives, and then Mount Calvary. And yes, you can make the case that neither of those were actually all that encouraging. Being there in the moment, Jesus literally sweating drops of blood, the Mount of Olives, and then him dying in front of them on Mount Calvary. But my point is this, though we may not understand, like the disciples, 
though we may not be able to wrap our minds around what it is that's going on in front of us, you realize that no matter what it is, no matter what mountain, no matter what valley, God can and desires to bring you through. This has been a theme over the past few weeks, remembering the good times before. Now, have you seen Jesus conversing with Elias and Moses? No, but you've seen God do some great things. Tomorrow on the broadcast, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again from the book of Mark. We're going to talk about getting to Jesus tomorrow. I want to thank you so much for listening into the broadcast today. My prayer, as always, is that you have a great day for His glory. I'd appreciate it so very much if you continue tuning in to Bible Tract Echoes. Thank you. Thank you for your listenership, for your viewership. We'll plan on talking to you very soon. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Tract Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample booklet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309-828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 130, Dwight, Illinois, 604 A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.